you were dismissed with uh, Mr. Kenny. Kenny is going to meet you guys downstairs. And, hey, guys, do not hurt him. Seriously, do not hurt him. I, will, I'm, I have your parents as a captive audience. Um, <laughs> uh, y'all pray for him. His, uh, <laughs> um, no, but we got a good group of kids. But normally I'm just, you know, I speak to them on a, you know, a couple times a week. So that, that's the, the environment that I'm used to. So if you guys were to act out a little bit and make me correct you and, you know, if we could do something like that, that would make me feel more comfortable. Um, but our youth group name is uh, Reaction Teen, so I'd scrub that and, you know, we're doing an adult session this morning, okay? So, uh, Brandon, if you want to move to the next slide, we're going to play just a little game. Um, this is a segment that we do every once in a while. Uh, how many of you know what a hipster is? If you, if you don't, you're going to find out. Um, you know, the game is, you know, I show a picture to them of a person, and they have to guess if that person is a hipster or if that person is a hobo. <laughs> Because sometimes there's a very difficult delineation. So we're going to play that. Next slide, Brandon. I don't know. What do you guys think? Hipster. Hipster. By a raise of hands, how many, how many people think it's a hipster? Wow. Overwhelming majority. Is there anybody out there who thinks it's a hobo? No. No. Okay. Fair enough. Next slide. Let's see. It is, in fact, a hipster. So give yourself a pat on the back. It is a hipster. Um, if you used to be homeless, I'm really sorry if that offends you. I didn't mean to. Um, it's just, a, you know, the kids like it. So anyway, so, <laughs> so but as we, as we uh, prepare, if you guys, if you have your Bibles, if you want to take them and turn them to uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, and we are going to start in verse number 13. So as you turn there, I'll give you a little bit of background as to what we are going to talk about. So... A lot of, I guess really if you can kind of picture in your mind, if you think about what has transpired in your life, like if you think about that right now, what's going to come across your brain is you are going to see highlights of what has happened in your life. You don't remember every detail right off the bat, but you have in your mind what I would consider cliff notes. What is a cliff note? A cliff note is basically if you were to summarize a document into just a few key points, right? And so all of us in all of our lives, we have cliff notes, as I would call them. And some of them are good. Some of them are bad. And what I want to take this morning is we're going to really kind of dive into, uh, we're going to, obviously, we're going to talk about Jesus this morning because we're in church. Um, If you guys weren't expecting that, we are going to talk about Jesus today. Um, (laughs) So, but... But think about that as we move as we move forward through the text, through the message, uh, the concept of cliff notes in your own life. What do you think about in your own life that really strikes out as a, a highlight to you? And then think about on the other side of that coin, your your Christian life. Like, what is you know what are the highlights of your Christian life? And so, you know, if you think about it, when you really look at your Christian life, we know the beginning, right? We've experienced the beginning. And we know that ultimately, in the end of it, God is in control, and in the end, Jesus wins, right? But what happens in the middle? That's the confusing part from where you're born until kind of when you die is the confusing part of life that we're trying to figure out. You guys can laugh if you want. I know it's not that funny. Um, <laughs> uh, but all of the stuff in the middle there, all of the, you know, we all experience hard times. Is anybody denying that? Do we not experience hard times, Right. We've all been through that, but we all experience good times, too. It's like this mix of highs and lows in the form of, of highlights, right? So think about that as we move forward. But I'm going to go ahead and read, starting in verse 13, and we will, we will jump in. 
And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. So if you're familiar in, in any of the Gospels up until this point, we know that this is very, especially in the book of Luke, we just kind of finished covering, uh, if you read the prior chapters, we finished covering really the young adult years of Jesus. And so at this point in his ministry, he is, you know, he has not, he's just coming onto the scene. Like he has not, he's not yet had his spats with the religious elites. He's not yet raised Lazarus from the dead. Like all of these major uh, big miracles that he's done uh, or he does do have not yet happened yet. So really what he's, what his fame is coming from is the fact that he has pretty much gone around and he's been healing the sick. And everybody's like, man, this Jesus guy, he's great. He's a great teacher. He's kind of, you know, he's coming onto the scene. And basically what is happening here is Jesus is basically on a preaching tour to different synagogues. And he would basically, I mean, I don't know, he probably had a tour bus. I mean, he's Jesus. He could have a tour bus, um, you know. But, you know, he's traveling to all of these synagogues, and they are, the people are loving it. And that's not, that's not quite how it always goes for Jesus, right? So there's a couple things in this um, oh, man, you got it on the screen. That's awesome. Um, I didn't even think about doing that. Um, so, Brandon, if you want to go to my, my first slide there, we'll kind of jump in. Poor Jose. Oh, Jose, we already know it's a hipster. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, so the first thing that I want to cover on the note of, of Cliff Notes is that um, the, the notion of success through temptation. Now, what happens here in this first, you know, prior to these, prior to the 13th verse, Jesus has been in the wilderness being tempted of the devil and fasting for 40 days. Now, the worst part about that to me is the not eating part for 40 days. If you guys have taken any look at me, you know that I can't go 40 minutes without eating, okay? So that's like extremely difficult. But one of the things that really sticks out to me, right? Jesus is going around and he's, you know, he's experiencing all of the, uh, you know, and, and not in a bad way per se, um, but he's experiencing a lot of fame, right? He was glorified in all the synagogues. And this is not, this is a very short-lived fame experience for him, I would say, because then he starts getting pushed back. And we'll see that later in the chapter. But everybody sees Jesus that he go, where he goes to speak, everybody sees him as like this amazing guy. You know, he has the, the Bible says he came into Galilee in the spirit of power, right? So he's experiencing all of this. And, but on the back end of that, what these people don't know is that he quite literally had 40 days of hell on earth before this. And that's, I think that that's something that all of us can relate to, right? Anybody who's ever experienced any kind of success you know that on the other side of that, what it took to get to that success wasn't, it's not always a pretty picture, right? Life's not always a, a bed of roses. So what they're missing here is the fact that, that Jesus had to go through an extremely tough time before he got to this place where, you know, he was, you know, he was revered and he was, uh, you know, being successful in his ministry. So there's a couple notables in here that I found in the passage. Um, verse, verse 13 really struck out to me. And if you guys are familiar with this, you'll know what I'm talking about. But at the end of the verse, the Bible says that Satan departed from Jesus for a season, right? After 40 days of 
you know, what Jesus went through, and I think a lot of us can relate to this, when you go through something that is just that terrible, you're like, oh, that's over. I probably won't ever experience anything in my life like that ever again. Maybe next week will slow down for me after having such a busy week this week. And we all know that that's not the case, right? The next week never slows down. Um, but can I tell you something this morning? That the devil, the devil is a very real adversary, right? The devil wants nothing but to harm you and your family and everything that you hold dear. And what we need to be mindful of is the fact that, yes, you know, the Bible says that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you for a season, right? He does come back. He does resurface in the ministry of Jesus multiple times trying to, um, I can't think of the word, but basically put roadblocks in his way. Um, so what I, with that, what we should really be mindful of, too, is that, yes, you've, you, you know, all of us have different things that we deal with in our own lives, different temptations, different struggles. We all have a, a cross to bear, so to speak. But just because you make it over the hill on that and you feel like it's done, just remember it's going to come back. And it's going to hit hard. It's gonna, I'm just telling you, it's, you know, the devil does not give up. Sure, he'll go away. He'll leave you alone for a little while, but he does come back. He, he disappears for a season, and he comes back. So second thing that I wanted to really... Um, really hit on here is that too many notes here for me um, bear with me for just a second here anyway so that with with success right with with success comes struggle behind success and I would be I would be doing you a disadvantage to not bring up Romans 828 the fact that, you know, everything that happens in your life, God is going to work together for good, for those who, are, who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we have, we have hope there in a sense that you might be going through a hard time. You may not be in a place where you feel like, you know, your struggle has landed you in a place of where you feel like all is well now. That, that circle has been completed. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there is an end to the tunnel. I'm here to tell you that the darkness does end, and you do get to the end of it, right? And you'll see throughout this passage as we go through that Jesus experiences highs and lows in a very short period of time. And all of you know, in our own lives, we experience highs and lows on a daily basis, just like Jesus is experiencing. So that's my first thing is I just, you know, success through temptation. I want that to stick in your mind. Um, I'm going to read a little bit further, and then we'll move on. So... We'll start in verse, uh, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the, sat the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered to him a book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And we'll, we'll keep reading, but just to give you an idea, uh, the passage that Jesus is reading from is a, a, a passage in Isaiah chapter 61 that is a, a chapter of messianic promise, right? The last 27 chapters of Isaiah are all about the coming Messiah. So he just happens to show up to this synagogue, and he just happens, the scheduled reading is a messianic promise. So keep that in mind as we move forward. And so... And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and he sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say to them, uh, preach to them, 
Uh, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all that bear him witness wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. So here's the, there's like, and I was chewing on this like all weekend, right? The fact that, you know, Jesus gets up and he reads this, this scripture to them. And they're like, they're like blown away. They're like, wow, this guy, this guy's telling us that this passage of, of the Bible that we've been, we've been reading for, for generations and we just happen to hit it again today. You know, he's telling us that he's here to preach deliverance. He's telling us that he's here to heal the brokenhearted. And then Jesus pivots after saying these things and he's like, guess what? This promise that this is going to happen, it's being fulfilled today, which implies what? Think about that for a second. If the promise fulfilled is that Jesus is preaching to the captive, to the brokenhearted, to the blind, right? And he's saying that is fulfilled today, right? Right this second, this is being fulfilled before your eyes. You're watching God complete a promise. He's saying to the crowd that, guess what? You guys who sit here in the synagogue this morning, you guys who, who think you've got it all together because you're God's people, you're broken. You're broken, you're prisoners, you're bruised, you're damaged. And he's like, I'm here to preach deliverance to you. And so he's telling them that, that this passage that we're talking about, like these, the people that, is, that are being addressed in this text, they are you. And he just hits them with it. And they take it pretty well, honestly. They were amazed at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. But there's, a, there's kind of a, a transition period here. We'll read. I lost my spot. And when they had, um, okay, here we go. And after, after he tells them that, he says, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted to, in his own country. But I tell you of a, whoops, sorry. Um, I lost it. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up and three years and, for three years and six months, when great famine was throughout the land. But none of them was Elijah sent to save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And then he goes on to say, Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, save Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow, the brow of a hill, whereon the, the city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of them on his way. So... Here's the whole picture, right? Jesus is telling them all these amazing things from the Bible, and they are just stunned at, at the truth there. Jose, can you put my next slide up? I don't know if you did already or not. There it, there it is. Setbacks through truth. Um, keep that in mind as we, read, as we, as we go through this. Um, so there's like a total shift here. Like he gives them truth. He, he doesn't insult them, but he reveals to them the state of who they are, the fact that they're a, they're a broken people in need of healing. And then they're like, wait a minute, isn't this Joseph, or isn't this the son of Joseph, the carpenter? And at this point in time, you know, sadly, Jesus' um, you know, stepfather, I guess you would be the proper term, um, is, is now gone. But Jesus grew up in this neighborhood, and so they're like, wait a minute, this is like, this is like little kid Jesus that broke, that broke my window with a baseball, okay? And now he's telling me that he's the Messiah? So they, they, have this, they have this preconceived notion of who Jesus is, this, this cliff note in his life that they define him by when he was a child. 
And they cannot get over that. And just as a side note, you know, when other people look at you, when other people look at me, what is the cliff note that they see of you? What is, what is it that they see that they can't quite get over, right? Think about before you met Jesus. When you meet other people and you're like, they're like, wow, you're really, you're, you're, kind, of a, you're kind of a different fella now, right? And you're like, yeah, you know, I got, I got saved. I met Jesus. And they're like, no, no, that's not it. That, that, that's not you. I remember you, right? But can I tell you this morning that you don't have to be defined by other, other people's preconceived notions of who you are. Can I tell you this morning that you have new identity in Jesus? Paul said that, behold, all things are, the old things are passed away and all things are made new. So you have, you have new identity this morning in Jesus and you don't have to be defined by the cliff note or the highlight of who you used to be in somebody else's mind. I want you, oops, sorry, almost uh, had a hiccup there. Um, but I want you guys to understand that. And so... But they, it's just, it's interesting to me how they go from, like, loving it, they're in the moment, and they're like, wait a minute, you can't say that. We're going to throw you off a cliff on the Sabbath day in church. What? What? And so I'm reading this, and I'm like, what made them, like, what, what about what Jesus said made them that upset to where they just, like, okay, we're, well, you're preaching today, but guess what? We're going to try to kill you. So, you know, because we don't like what you said. That's very extreme. And so if you kind of dig into what he said, he goes into some Old Testament stories, right? He talks about some of the, the other the prophets in, the, in the, the Jewish Bible, right? Because that's all they had at the time. And so he's telling them, he's like, listen, there were, in the days of Elijah the prophet, because remember Jesus said, you know, a prophet has no honor in his own country. He's like, you know, I'm here in my hometown and you guys, you know, I have no honor here because you have a preconceived notion of who I am when that's just not the reality, and so he goes on to talk about Elijah, right? Elijah, the prophet who, who called down fire from heaven, who did all sorts of amazing things in the Old Testament. And he's like, guess what? In the days of Elijah, there was a three-and-a-half-year famine where the people of Israel, you know, hundreds and thousands of them starved and died. It was terrible, right? But who did God send Elijah to in that time to minister to? It wasn't Israel, he said, there was a lady in a faraway city in the land of, uh, you know, what, what the New Testament Jews and would call Gentiles. A lady who was not from Israel. A lady who was not a part of God's chosen people. He said, God sent Elijah there. Why? Because his own country, you, the Jewish people, rejected him. And then he goes on to say again, what about Elijah's predecessor, Elisha? There was a lot of lepers. Does any of you know what leprosy is? Leprosy is basically, it's a, uh, it's a disease within your nervous system that, that you, you, you can basically no longer feel in certain parts of your body. And because of that, you don't, like, basically, to, to put it in a nutshell, a lot of times when people have leprosy, they, they start to have body parts fall off. It's pretty crazy. Um, you can Google it. You don't have to right now, but it's pretty wild. Um, so he's like, there, listen, there was a lot of sick lepers. A lot of these, and they, they, these people would live uh, in camps outside of the city, they were not allowed to go within city limits. And if they did, they had to cover their mouths and they had to yell, unclean, unclean, as they walked through the streets, right? He said there was a lot of people like that in Israel that God could have healed in the days of Elisha the prophet. But who did he heal? And he goes on to say that Elisha the prophet went beyond, you know, beyond Israel to a guy named, a guy who was named Naaman, who was a, a Syrian. 
And, you know, through God's instructions, Naaman is healed of his leprosy. But why? Jesus is telling them that he was healed of his leprosy, and nobody in Israel was, because they did the same thing to Elijah the prophet that they did to Elijah the prophet that they're doing to Jesus. They're rejecting him because, he, because they are a stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. And so they get pretty angry when he says this. And why? Why, though? Why was what I was chewing on for just a couple days, why would this make them so upset? And the reason is, is because they thought that they were better than everybody else. They thought because God had chosen their people to bring his word into the world, to bring his son into the world, that they somehow had this corner, this edge on every other people and that they were better than them. And they're realizing now that, as Jesus is pointing this out, that, you know, he's right. And it's like in... um, it's like in John chapter 3 when Jesus is saying that, you know, men won't come to the light because they love the darkness. Men won't, you know, we don't want, to, we don't want the light to shine on us because it will reveal who we are, and we, we, we don't like that. And so when confronted with the true nature, the true state of who they are, is when they decide to try to kill him, which, albeit, I think is still extreme. Um, you know, I would have maybe let the air out of his tires, something minor, you know, maybe not killed him. Um, you know, put some plastic spoons in his bed so he had to find them. You know, something, something stupid, okay? Um, but they, nonetheless, they try to kill him. And so here's what's interesting about all of this, right? So when Jesus is revealing himself as, as who he is in Scripture, he reveals himself. He's like, he's reading from the Scripture. He gives it to the, you know, the, the rabbi in the synagogue. He sits down. And then he, he begins to, to speak to the people. And he's like, all of this Scripture is being fulfilled in your very ears. But what's interesting to understand is those last 27 books of Isaiah, they speak of a figure called Ebed Yahweh. That's Hebrew for uh, servant or slave of God. And for generations, the Jewish people were, were trying, you know, the, the, the best scholars they had were looking at this text and they're like, who, who is this servant? Who is this person that, that Isaiah the prophet is speaking of in a future tense. Like, who, who is this person? And all of that builds through the end of the book. And in this very chapter, he's, he's basically telling them that, like, I am the Ebed Yahweh that Isaiah spoke of. And here's the interesting thing to me. That, that translation, it sounds harsh, right? Because we all know slavery is terrible. Can we all agree with that? Okay, nobody should be enslaved. I think we're all on the same page there. But... The interesting thing about it was within Jewish law, it was, it was punishable by death to enslave a free person. You could not do that according to the law. But one could sell themselves into slavery in the interest of paying off a debt. Think about that for a second. What did Jesus come here to do? He came here to pay off a debt, right? And so he's telling them, by reading this scripture, and they're just like putting it together. They're like, oh my goodness. You know, Jesus is telling us that he is the slave of God. He is the servant of God that Isaiah has spoken of. Oh my goodness. He is here to pay a debt. They, they knew, like this is their law. They are confronted with this truth, and they are like in this awestruck moment. But then they turn on him, they turn on him and they, they try to kill him. It's crazy. And I, that is such like, I mean, if you want to talk about like going like, like this, in your mind, like hills and valleys, it, it just it literally happened in all of their minds. But what I wanted to point out with this is that, you know, you'll, you read the slide and the, the premise is somewhat confusing, right? Setbacks through truth? 
what do you mean setbacks through truth? Does truth yield setbacks? Does truth? I thought, I thought the Bible said that truth sets me free. Yes. Yes, it does. But here in the passage, we see that Jesus is doing what he commands us to do, and that is giving, giving people truth, right? But here's the bad news, in case you haven't noticed. The world does not like truth. They just don't, okay? Because it reveals the true nature of who they are. And that is exactly what Jesus is exposing here. So be mindful that, you know, in your Christian life, as you're looking at the highlights, like what a lot of us think that, you know, you hear, you know, the doctor, uh, where's Mr. Chuck? There's Mr. Chuck. Tony Evans, right? How to live a, a victorious Christian life as a man. And you think about all that is entailed in that and the, you know, man, I'm going to be this awesome, godly man. Everybody's going to love me. Everybody's going to love what I have to say because it's coming from the Bible. And nobody dislikes the Bible, right? Wrong. And so, in the grand scheme of things, as you look at all of these highlights, yes, truth is a highlight. But on the other side of that quarter is the fact that, you're, you know, you, by you speaking the truth, you are bringing trouble to yourself. And that's just the way it is, Right? And so what I want to encourage you with that, got to flip pages here, but I want to encourage you that, got to find it, um, man, got to lay this out better. Um, but anyway, so we all, have, we all have baggage that we carry, right? I have baggage, plenty of baggage. I need help carrying my baggage, okay? Like it just, you know, and if you can't relate, I'm really just, you know, I'm just that bad. Um, but, <laughs> um, but don't, and I want to revert back around to what we said in the beginning. They were, they had a preconceived notion of who Jesus was, right? And what some of the setbacks that you're going to experience are because of, you know, I, you know, especially like within your family, right? You know, if you're, you know, and I'm, I can't talk bad about my family because they're in the back. Okay. So I'm not going to, um, <laughs> but but some of you, you know, you have family members who, you, you know, when they, you tell them you're going to church, they just kind of cringe. And they're like, well, you go to church, but you do this, that, and the other, right? Or you, go to, you, you, think, you're, you think you're better than me. It's, 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 it's automatically the impression that is given off. But understand that, you know, as we revert back to the, to the beginning of this point, that you, you're not defined by that. You're not defined by who you used to be. Because fact of the matter is we're all a work in progress, None of us are complete, right? We know that sanctification is a process of which Jesus takes us, picks us up out of the mud, and until the end of our life, we get better and better and better and we grow, right? That's the, that's the purpose of it. So don't be defined by somebody else's preconceived notion of who you are. Jose, could you do the next slide for me, please? So what does all this, what does all this mean for you? Is there, a, is there a practical end to this? So... My last point is this. Both success and setbacks must be met with surrender. That is the, the kind of the, the bow on the text here. And we'll read, we'll read a little bit here. So at the end of this, this um, the journey, I guess you could call it. I lost my spot here. There we go. And after, after they try to throw him off the cliff, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. And he came down to Capernaum, which is really a city that he was just recently in, a city of Galilee, not too far from Nazareth, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. Now, hold on for just a second. Let's think about practically what is happening here, okay? Jesus is almost killed for preaching the truth to these people. 
And what does he do? He goes to a different synagogue, same kind of people, different synagogue, and does it again. What? Like, hold on a second. You mean to tell me that he is willing to risk his life again and possibly be thrown off a cliff again for doing the same thing? And there's no, there's no delay. Like, he just, he, he leaves the crowd and, you know, maybe he grabs, grabs something from Burger King on his way over to, uh, you know, to the other city, Capernaum, and then he sets up shop again and just keeps doing his thing. He wasn't, he wasn't deterred at all. Like, he did not stop. The dude was an animal. And I don't mean that in a, a derogatory fashion. Um, but Jesus was like, think about the place of full surrender that you're in, where you, you have this faith in God that's like, you know what? I know they tried to kill me. I know they might try to do it again. But I know that, that I have to complete my Father's work in my life. I know that I have a purpose that needs to be filled and there's nothing that the world can do to stop me. Holy cow. Like, that is, like, that's where Jesus is at. And so, with all of the highs and lows, right, that you experience in your life, with all of the setbacks, with all of the struggles, successes, like, all of these, these different things that you think of when you think of highlights in your life, all of it needs to be met with surrender, right? And what's i think what's important to understand about this point is like you're going to like you're going to experience setbacks as a christian we are literally promised tribulations and hardships okay if somebody promised you that yeah you should get saved life's going to be awesome it's going to be perfect you're never going to have a problem again i'm really sorry but that person lied to you and i don't believe that you can lose your salvation so you're stuck like you know <laughs> but the good news the good news is that, like, like we said before, Romans 8.28, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we have hope, right? But let's, let's dig into this a little bit. Um, verses 31 and 32. Jesus literally, like, let's, let's emphasize this one more time. He literally had a life, this is really his first, like, life-threatening experience in his ministry. In his short period of three years, he was, they tried to kill him, like, a lot. And then they finally do kill him. So there's, like, you know, they finally, they finally get him at the end. I don't mean to spoil it for you. Um, <laughs> um, but <laughs> I thought of another joke, but I'm not going to tell it. Um, but anyway, moral of the story, in life we experience both highs and lows. That's guaranteed. So what helps us make it through the roller coaster, right? What, what is going to give me comfort to go through all of this? And that's surrender. That's, and what that boils down to is you know that you have... You have a faith that will carry you through. And one of the things I hate is, like, the generic, like, just have faith statement. You hear it all the time from people. They're like, oh, just have faith. Like, have faith in what? What are you talking about, right? But I'm talking about, like, real Christian faith. Like, have, have faith that, you know, you're going to experience hardships and God is going to bring you through them. That's Christianity is not you accepting Jesus to avoid hardship. Christianity is you accepting Jesus so you have somebody to go through hardship with you, Right? So with that being said, you need like something that is so essential that you need to have is you need to understand that God has a perfect work that he's going to work in your life and you need to trust him. Like that, that's all you have to do. Like he's, you know, the Bible says that he which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Like he is responsible for doing that. And he's like, all you got to do is get in my little side cart here, right? And just hang on for the ride. It's going to be a little bumpy. But we're going to get to the end of the road at some point, um, you know. So, but, but faith, oh my goodness. Like, just literally, that is like the key, 
here is that you need to have faith that he will do what he's going to do. And here's the thing, right? Here's the, here's the, the, the not-so-fun part of the truth, I guess, right, is that you can have faith in Jesus and, you know, he'll be with you through the hard times, but, some, like, some of the things that you're going to go through are things that, you know, maybe God has put in your path that you think are terrible. But at the end of the day, that is put in your life for a purpose. And whew, I had too much coffee before service. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> that's embarrassing. Uh, my wife was telling me before service, she's like, you're missing a belt loop. And I was like, whew, thanks for telling me. I got to go adjust my belt real quick. And I was like, oh, the belt loop's gone. Never mind. I can't adjust it. So here I am looking, looking like a fool up here. Um, <laughs> I picked the wrong pair of pants this morning. I had one job, and it was to look nice because this is probably going to be video recorded. Um, and I chose the pants with no belt loop. <laughs> Just my luck, right? Um, <laughs> it's okay. You can laugh at my pain. It's okay. I, I expected it. I expected it. Uh, Kenny's probably, the, the teen's probably got him tied up downstairs right now. Who knows what's going on down there? Um, but anyway, I totally lost my train of thought because of that rabbit trail. But. But the, the hook here is that, you know, you're going to experience things in your life that don't quite make sense, and you're going to question, like, why would God do this to me? I'm a good person. I chose to follow him. All of the stuff that goes with that, right? All of these thoughts that we have. But at the end of the day, you have to understand that we are promised the highs and lows, and you need to be in a place of surrender to handle that. You need to surrender yourself to the will he has for your life. And here's the thing about surrender is that it is a, it's a choice, like, surrender is not something that God can do for you, right? And so, when you're thinking about that, <laughs> I was looking to see if my wife was at the piano. You back there? There you are. Um, but God is a, he does not push himself on people. Um, that, is, that is one of the, the great things about Jesus is that he's, you know, he comes when he is wanted. Um, and that's not to say that he doesn't ever show up unexpectedly. You, you guys know what I'm saying. Um, probably. Um, but the thing about it is that you have to willingly put yourself in a place where you're like, you know what? I think that I've got it all going on. Like that's, that's my preconceived notion. Like the Jews in the, in the synagogue, right? The preconceived notion that we're like, we've got it going on. We know which end is up. You're just here. You're reading the scripture to us. Like we're, we're good. We got it going on. But at the end of the day, you just, you just don't. Like, you don't have it all together. You don't have all the answers. I will say this, though. My teenagers downstairs, they do have all the answers. They have answers to all the problems that I, you know. They're like, well, why don't you just do this? And I'm like, well, that, that's, that's a good point, I guess. I don't know. Um, and by the way, hats off to all the parents in here with teenagers. They, those kids eat. I mean, holy cow. They, they eat me out of house and home. I know they eat you out of house and home. Like, I feel like I have to get Wednesday nights for our small group catered at this point because they eat so much. So hats off to you because that's got to get expensive. Um, but, you know, but surrender, right? Something that only, a choice that only you can make, but it makes all the difference for you and everybody else in your life. And so if I could implore you to do one thing this morning and, you know, it, it's something that you could just do in your seat. You know, I'm not going to have a, a dramatic altar call where you come down to the front and, you know, you cry a little bit and we make fun of you for it and, you know. Nothing like that. Not that we'd make fun of you. Maybe I would. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but in your heart, I want you to consider, if I can implore you to do this, I want you to consider coming to a place of surrender where you're like, you know what? 
God, I might feel like I have it all together, and I might feel like I have all the answers and that I don't need you, but the reality is, is that I do. I do need you. And I just, you know, I feel like we all need to get to this place. Like, Jesus will do far more in our lives when we come to a place of surrender to him. And once again, that's a choice that only you can make yourself. So I guess uh, just, for a, just for a minute, if I could have all of you bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's just pray in our seats for just a minute about uh, the idea of, of surrender, right? Just pray in your seats.